Um, I remember early on just in our marriage and uh, being a part of a church ourselves, um, having kids, and um, Kristen had quit her job teaching, and uh, I was teaching and working on my master's and having a kid, um, and we didn't have a lot of money. <laughs> and I remember going to my pastor at the time and saying, well, you know, Kristen had quit her job, so it's like, we're going to have to cut our, our giving down, and um, it was just really stressful. And I remember him giving me that advice as well. It's like, you know, for this year, like, um, stretching it for us might be giving 5%. Like, that's, like, sacrificial for us, but to be working towards 10 and so that's just the mindset and heart that I would love for us to have. But honestly, one of the biggest things for, for Kristen and I in that journey was that as we made future decisions about cars and homes and as, as we've started to have more income is, um, you know, what can we do here that will allow us to be more generous in the house that we choose to get, the, the debt we choose to take on, <laughs> um, the choices that we make with how we spend our money. How are those things, those choices, allowing us to be, be more generous, not stretching us so that we are, end up being less? Um, and that's just to match the, the heart of the God who gave, Dave said, gave everything for us. So one of the ways we really try to stretch ourselves in this time of Christmas is really challenging folks to be generous um, outside of just buying stuff for people, which most of us don't really need more of. But there's lots of ministries in our town that really need um, faithful Christians in our community to support these things. One of the things we're going to talk about today, an opportunity to give, and in the back there's little giving envelopes for each of these ministries, but Kayla um, is going to come and talk a little bit. Um, Kayla is our, our guest house staff person, our neighborhood ministry staff person, but she's going to speak specifically about her summer internship and an opportunity that college students that do the internship have to focus specifically on the neighborhood and um, that get paid to do that. So come on up, Kayla. Hey guys, um, like Bob mentioned, I'm Kayla, and I've been living in the guest house for seven months now. Um, yeah, and I do neighborhood ministries. Um, I first did the internship, the mission track portion of the internship going into my sophomore year of college in 2017, and this is where I first experienced community and friendship in a real way. Um, I had never before been in a safe enough space to press into healing and brokenness and share that with other people. And doing the internship helped me get to experience that for the first time ever. Um, I also found the heart of Jesus in children who just wanted to hang out with me because I was around, um, which was really cool. And it's safe to say that the whole experience changed my life um, because here I am now leading the internship, which is kind of crazy. Um, so Mission Track is an optional portion of the internship that goes alongside of Justin's um, and we'll get to work with local missions and, like the Guest House and Food for Kids in the community. So we'll meet twice a week. Um, on Mondays, we'll focus on preparing the intern's heart to invest in vulnerable people. So we ha I invite professionals to come and speak like Stacey Kearns and Summer Ward. Um, and we'll talk about stuff like trauma and how that relates to our relationships. Um, we'll learn about the foster care system, take a look at homelessness and talk about how to connect with and love people who are going through hard times. Um, and then Fridays, which are actually spent in the neighborhood, hanging out with kids and serving alongside local ministries here. Um, one of our biggest partnerships is with um, Sheila, who I think spoke last week about food for kids. So we'll um, provide 150 sandwiches 
on Fridays and take and hand them out to the kids and families who are in the neighborhood. Um, so we basically just like throw a party on the street every Friday. We play games, shoot hoops, sing songs and stuff like that. Um, it's super fun. We also serve alongside another ministry called Mid-City Excellence, which is just a community learning center for kids. Um, yeah, and throughout the week we'll play kickball. We eat a lot of s'mores. Um, yeah, it's super fun. Um, I'd also like to take a moment now to thank the people who are invested in our mission at the guest house outside of the internship. We've had families and small groups and individuals bringing meals every Wednesday, um, which is really cool. So we've had like probably 15 different meals provided by different people who go here. Um, I also get to have a year-long intern, uh, Lauren Duvall, who's just been with me through the ups and downs of the semester, um, and I wouldn't be able to do it without you guys. So our goal for the mission track is to have five interns who will work 10 hours a week and earn up to $1,000 by the end of the summer. So if you're a college-age student or between 18 and your mid-20s, um, you're welcome to fill out an application or talk to Justin and I if you're interested. And if you'd like to support our program financially, you can contribute through the offering box. Just make sure um, that you put that it's for mission track. So yeah, that's all I have for you guys. Thank you so much. Awesome. Hey guys, we're going to be transitioning uh, back into our Advent conversation. Um, it's kind of cool because the, the Advent devotional that I've been reading, I can encourage you all um, to maybe look into reading one, but it's really been focusing on Zechariah's story that we kind of looked at last week, so it's been fun to go a little bit deeper um, on that. But last week, we took a look at this miraculous birth of John the Baptist, and we learned that his parents uh, were very old and had been unable to conceive a child at that point in their life when an angel came and informed them that uh, the son was going to be given to them. And not just any son, but this son they were going to receive, the angel said, was going to be a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. The son was going to come, and he was going to be a messenger of God who would call out the people of Israel to repent of their sins and prepare their hearts for the coming of the Messiah, who was going to be actually his cousin, Jesus of Nazareth. And so we looked at um, Luke 1, and we talked about um, Zechariah, who was this priest, and when he found out he was going to have this son, he began to prophesy once his son was born about the kind of life that this son was going to live. And it said in Luke 179 that this son, John, would guide our feet into the path of peace. That he would guide our feet into the path of peace. Now, how many of you guys have ever hired a guide when you've been on a trip before? Raise a hand. Look at all you self-sufficient people out there, right? Okay, so when you hire a guide, let's, let's just, let's just uh, you know, find out who you hired, what for, um, and what, what caused you to want to hire a guide, and what was it for? What was the activity? So who, I saw Kimball out there with his hand up. Who have you had a guide for, Kimball? Okay, for fishing, camping, like... Okay. Okay, good. Fishing campy, yeah. In the ruins of Mexico, a guide once said, if you don't have a guide, it's just a pile of rocks. <laughs> yeah, she said in, in the, she was in Mexico visiting um, 
the, the ruins there that said if you didn't have a guide, it's just a pile of rocks, right? So, so guides provide useful information that you might not know otherwise. Yeah, what else? Who else has hired a guide for something? Yes. Well, um, Karen and I and Griff went on a glacier hike, and so, yeah, we, we didn't really want Griff and I wandering around on a glacier with a pickaxe and no, <laughs> no. where to go. No, you don't. So. Yeah. So glacier guides, good. Okay. Um, people maybe have been whitewater rafting, something a lot of folks have done. You have a guide that takes you down the river that has experience with that, right? Um, and it's comforting to have a guide, especially when there's potential for danger or maybe even loss of life if you make the wrong mistake in this time, right? So today we hope to explore um, you know, it said that John was going to be a guide. He's going to guide our feet into the path of, of peace. So what is the peace that's being described? And who is that peace for? Okay, so that's what we're hoping to tackle today. Um, I'm sure that some of you, and, or maybe your children, um, or maybe you lived it, for some of you, um, but you, you have these dress-up days by the decades, right, for school. And when you have 60s dress-up day, you know, you or your kids would get dressed up in the flower children stuff and look like hippies and wear peace shirts and, and all of that stuff. Um, now, in the 60s, when it was happening, okay, the peace that they were referring to at that time wasn't just like a freedom from chaos and, and trouble. Um, they were actually talking about peace from a war that was going on in Vietnam. This was real peace, Okay. And, and the, the story and the peace described in Scripture surrounding the birth of Jesus has much the same connotation as that. One of the names that we hear for Jesus often at Christmas is that he is the Prince of Peace. Okay? So what does that mean? Does it mean that when we're around him that we feel warm and cozy, we get to snuggle up with Jesus and watch a Hallmark movie um, on a Saturday night? And that's not the kind of peace that he's really talking about there. That's, that's worldly peace. <laughs> worldly peace is just this temporary respite from the world's troubles. Okay? Jesus, Prince of Peace, came to make peace between a holy God and sinful mankind. The Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, gets this sentiment right in lyrics that we've probably all sang hundreds of times. Here's the first four lines of that carol. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. God and sinners reconciled. You see, scripture tells us that every single one of us was born an enemy of God. An enemy of God. We wanted our kingdom over his. And that put us at war with him. We all like doing life on our terms. But God, in his great mercy, decided that that distance between us wasn't good. And so he made a plan from the very beginning of time, even before the original sin in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, Jesus was there. A savior was already like ready in the wings to come in and rescue us. And Christmas is both a sobering recognition of our desperate need for a Savior and a celebration of God's provision of a Son 
to take our sins so we might enjoy a status of peace with God again, free from being at war with him, reconciled at last. And who gets to experience this peace? This is even a more interesting question. Let's take a look at Luke 2.14. This is what the angel said in announcing the birth of Jesus. It says, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And see, there's a qualifier in there, isn't there? Not everybody gets to experience this peace. It makes me wonder, well, how do I get God's favor, right? If, if only people on whom his favor rests get peace, then what do I got to do? Hebrews 11.6 has a clue for us. Go ahead and show that slide. It says, and without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So part of find, finding favor with God, of, of pleasing him, is having faith, believing in him, believing that he desires a relationship with us and that those that earnestly pursue him, that he rewards. I think another key in finding God's favor is to pay attention to the message when John the Baptist, when that baby grew up and began preparing the way of peace, what was his message to people that came out to listen to him in the wilderness? You guys remember the constant theme of his talks. What was boiled down to one word, what would it be? Repent. Okay, if you go back and read John the Baptist, that's what he kept saying, repent, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Jesus is here. He's, he's in the flesh. He's coming. You need to repent. And so I want to just share with you um, this consistent message, uh, this, I'm sorry, this definition of repent that I came across uh, this week by this guy named Jeremiah Unterman. I don't even know who he is, but man, what a great quote. Here it is. Repentance is reviewing one's actions and feeling contrition or regret for past wrongs, which is accompanied by commitment to and actual actions that show and prove a change for the better. Thoughts on that? What stands out to you from that? Yeah, Devin. Um, so there's a feeling involved, right? That you've done something wrong, but there's also action that accompanies. Yeah. It's kind of invalid without the action, right? Yeah, or without the feeling, right? Yeah. yeah, so if you're repenting or <laughs> coming clean or saying you're sorry, but there's no emotion behind it, right? Contrition is this humility and regret. I mean, that, that elicits in us when you feel like, man, I've really had some regrets. You think about like a visceral body bodily reaction that goes on to you when, in, in you when you're contrite and regretful, right? So there's an emotion, but then there's also an action. You're actually doing something. <laughs> I have this conversation with my nine-year-old all the time, right? Because I ask him, like, you need to say you're sorry for whatever. And then he might say it, you know. Um, but then I say, but you know how we'll know that you're sorry, is that you won't do it again, right? 
Okay, so this is, you know, and this just, I mean, it's just textbook, you know, Parenting 101. I mean, I've got all the one-liners, you know. Um, but here's the deal. In Parenting Xavier, um, this is what happens when I leave the room. Holy Spirit, you say you're sorry all the time. But then you keep doing all kinds of disobedient things, don't you? It's like, you're no different from Xavier, right? Um, so that's neither here nor there. That's just, yeah. But it's funny how God reminds us of those things as well. But man, I love that. Accompanied by a commitment to an actions to prove a change for the better. So let me make this clear, guys. God's favor rests on those who have faith that he exists and that earnestly pursue a relationship with him by way of repentance. By way of repentance. We have to repent. He is the prince of peace for all who make their peace with him. Now, once we've made our peace with God by repenting and being reconciled through his son, we can also then begin to experience this emotional peace that the world craves so much. And the promise of John 16, can come to life for us. I want you to, to turn and look at that verse. John chapter 16, it's page 1539 in your pew Bibles. Verse 33 says this. Jesus has just finished up a, a long passage where he's sharing with his disciples about the fact that he is going to Jerusalem to die. The Holy Spirit's going to come to be with them. It's a really troubling passage. And he says in verse 33, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So instead of trying to control and manipulate the world in a way that brings peace to our hearts, Jesus just shoots us straight, right? And he says, guys, listen, there's going to be trouble here. You are living in a broken world and surrounded by broken people of which you are one. So we're all contributing to the, the mess here. And for one, for these guys, for us, you're following a savior that people don't want to follow, don't want to surrender to, don't want to listen to and give their life to. If you align yourself with me, there's going to be trouble in this world. Bad stuff is bound to happen. So where does he say our peace comes from in the midst of that? Why does he say, but hey, you can take heart even though you know there's going to be trouble? Because why? This is like an open book test. Like, you just looked at it. It's not complicated. Rob? He's overcome the world. What does that mean? Could you elaborate? This is the short answer part now of the, of the, of the test question, right? Um, just that there'll be ultimate victory through Yeah, yeah. That there's ultimate victory with Christ, right? So whatever trouble we might be having here, in the long run, we know the end of the story that Christ wins, that the, the temporary trouble, Paul says, that we're experiencing here doesn't compare to the weight of glory of what we're going to experience when we're in the presence of Christ, right? So take heart. 
One of the most famous verses, you know, when people look up Bible verses that have like, hey, if you want to find out about anger, look at this verse, or, you know, if you looked up a verse on peace, most people would turn to Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7. Here's what that verse says. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So who gets the transcendent peace God can offer? Not everybody, but only those who pray with a thankful heart, right? If you present your request to God with thanksgiving, then these things will happen. Peace that surpasses understanding is granted to those who humbly come to Jesus with their concerns and do so with a thankful heart for what he's already done in making peace between you and the Father. That's why we come with thanksgiving. It's not based on whatever our current circumstances we might be coming to Jesus about, which we looked at this in the past series that we just did on healing, right? Are we praising God for the healing that we've already received, which we didn't deserve anyways? He made peace between us and God, and that's no small thing. It was very costly for Christ to do that. One final note on peace today, I want you to turn over to Colossians 3, page 1679. Colossians 3, verse 15 says this, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful so interesting how many times you read about peace and thankfulness is joined with it in some way. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts as opposed to letting what else rule. I want you to think about your own heart for a moment. What are some things that can rule in your heart that aren't the peace of Christ? What's that? Fear and insecurity. Fear and insecurity. What else? What else rules in your heart sometimes? Yeah, definitely. Oh, go ahead. What? Yeah. Anger, jealousy. Anger, jealousy. What else? Greed. Greed. What? Anxiety. Anxiety. Yeah. I think one thing that probably, um, I would just say a lack of contentment rules my heart a lot. Just like, man, I just wish life was this way, or I wish this person was doing this, or I wish my circumstances were some, something else, right? Lack of contentment or just envy <laughs> for what other people's circumstances look like compared to mine, right? Those things can rule our hearts. And Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. And when peace rules in our hearts, 
because we've repented and believed in the message of Christ, it gives us the ability to live out the second half of that verse, which is we can extend peace and receive peace from other people. <laughs> if peace isn't ruling in our own hearts, it's extremely hard for us to extend peace towards other people. One theme, our theme, I'm sorry, with Advent is all the feels. And I've talked about, starting last week, this challenge in me, and I'll just, maybe I need this sermon series and none of you do, because I'm not much of a feeler. And so I've been really trying to focus on like, what, is, what would peace feel like on an emotional level in me? Okay, what does it feel like on an emotional level? I was re-watching uh, this past week. I was a history teacher, so I love history stuff. And I was re-watching the series, The Band of Brothers, uh, this past week. Awesome series, okay? And, but it's very intense. Um, you know, it's looking at a, a unit during World War II that was on the front lines of fighting. And when you're on the front lines for an extended period of time, <laughs> man, the anxiety level is high, right? You're just running on adrenaline. There's this constant sense of alertness because somebody is trying to kill you, all right? If you're constantly living in that sense that somebody wants to kill me, there's no off button for a long time. But as you're watching the show and, and the news came that Germany had surrendered, right? And there was no longer hostilities between the nations. Nobody was trying to kill them anymore. The relief was overwhelming, right? You could finally relax, finally dream about like what my future life might be now that the hostilities have subsided. A peace treaty was signed to signal the end of the fighting, and only then could a true sense of like an emotional peace begin to exist in the soldiers' hearts. And man, those soldiers, as soon as they found out the war is over, the treaty's been signed, man, it was like there's this huge shift in their countenance so quickly. Without an enemy to worry about, they immediately began to celebrate, right? They could go out and just enjoy life and one another and relax and have fun again. They truly lived. And that's our story with God. Our wills were at war with him. But because of his great love for us, he made a way for us to be reconciled with him. God and sinners reconciled. And once we repent and receive his son, his favor rests on us. And then we're truly able to experience peace on an emotional level in our life. The peace that surpasses all understanding is ours. And guys, that is a miraculous and undeserved gift. And when we come to the communion table during this season of Advent, as I was thinking about what communion signifies, it really ties in with each one of the themes. I mean, you could talk about communion in the context of hope, peace, love, joy. I could give a sermon on each one of those topics, okay? But I think it's really important for us to focus on this aspect today of peace as we take communion, right? In order for us to have peace with God, Jesus' body had to be broken 
and his blood had to be shed as penalty and payment for the sin that we deserved. He died the death that we should have died so that we might have life. And I started thinking even just further along these lines, guys, is that as followers of Christ, we are the only ones in the world that have that peace. Only followers of Christ have been reconciled with God. No other humans in all the world have that privilege of having those peace terms with God. You are one of the chosen few on whom his favor rests. And you don't deserve it. And neither do I. And that gives you access into this deep intimacy with him that we can't take for granted, guys. We've got to feel it and cherish that, that position, right? That when we believe in him, when we repent and we come into a relationship with him, we given, are given the right to become children of God. Oh, man, take some time to let that soak in this morning and during this Christmas season. As you have some silence, I really just want you to ponder that a little bit. Maybe you need to repent, <laughs> reconcile for some things with God. Maybe there's some actions that need to go along with that repentant spirit in you. But more than anything, man, I just want you to pray. And if you're struggling, just say, God, help me to feel. Not just to understand the intellectual sense of I've got peace with you, but what that costs and that you chose me to be a recipient of that and I get to live under that protection of peace for eternity. Gosh, that is an unbelievable gift that we are living in and walking in every moment of our life. After a minute, the ushers will dismiss you to come up for communion. You can take a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup, take it back to your seat. There's gluten-free options on each side as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father,